enough of that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to tell you I preached this message here 13 years ago. You probably won't recognize it, but I did. I preached 13 years ago. I preached this message. And so I changed the title so you wouldn't know that I was going to preach the same message. But uh, the title I've given to this is being thankful for being a child of of God. We have so much to be thankful for. I mean, he, he reached down in mercy and took a lost, undone, hell-bound kid and opened his eyes that he could see his sinful condition. And he saved him, changed him. And from that point forward, my life has been different. And who can I thank for that? It wasn't me. It was God that did this work. So let's read from verse 24. Romans 8, 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, it's no way to say it. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, another way, way translated is since God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our gracious and divine Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the book of Romans, grateful for the whole, all the scriptures. But this book, 
talks to us in some ways that others do not, but we're grateful to be one who is led, guided, directed by the Spirit of God. We're grateful to you, Lord, for working in our lives and giving us a desire to will and do of your good pleasure. Lord, help us as we think upon these things this morning that you will receive all the glory and all the honor, that you will edify your people, build us up in the faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What shall we say to these things? Verse 31. Since God be for us, who can be against us? Well, that statement is interesting because I know there are cases in our lives where there are human beings who are indeed against us. Do we have to dwell on those situations? No. We turn it over to the Lord because he's the one who places obstacles in our lives, that places people in our lives who for some reason um, treat people not justly. I'll put it that way. But let's look at our introduction this morning. What can we say as we read and pray about the bountiful grace and mercy which is shown us from our Heavenly Father? I know one thing for sure, and that is that I'm glad that one day God revealed to me what His plan was for me as His child and the course of life I was to take. You know, when I met Sylvia, we talked, you know, after we started dating, I guess, what it was. My sister took us out on our first date, her and her husband. And and uh, anyway, our dates mainly were in church, you know. And and we would discuss things. I, and and I, I asked her one time, what, what would you do if, you know, if I was called to preach? Would you still be happy to be with a preacher? Because I know what my dad and mom went through. She said, oh, of course I would. Do what the Lord's will. And then a little bit later the thought came to me, what if the Lord would send me to the mission field? Would you follow me there? She said, of course, I'll go wherever the Lord leads us. Two years ago, we moved into Decatur. And I'm going to tell a little story on Sylvia. She said to me, Ted, I mean, after unpacking, friends that came down to help us unpack, you know, just she says, Ted, I don't think I can move again. So you know what was laying heavy upon my heart about this new decision was what Sylvia had said. God is my witness. She started packing when she knew we were going to go and has never complained once. Why? She loves God 
and she loves her husband. She loves the ministry. I'm thankful for her, for her godliness, for her care for the ministry and care for her nomadic husband. (laughs) I don't know else how to say that. But God knows that there are some men that he has put in the ministry, like Brother Al Gormley, who was called to preach at Bryan Station Baptist Church, became its pastor, and pastored there until, almost until he passed away and went home to be with the Lord. One church all his life. I think of my father, one church all his life. And then comes me. I mean, I've actually questioned myself, Lord, am I really this unstable? (laughs) What is wrong with me that I am? But Sylvia says, Ted, every place you've gone, every place God has placed us, there's been a reason for our being there. And it's true. People not always have been saved in those places, but people have heard the word of God, the ministry, the, the gospel being preached, the truths of God's holy word have been, been preached. And we desire to serve him again in the same capacity. You know, we can look at examples of old friends and our relatives and see that some have, quote-unquote, made it by the world's standard, and others have been blessed by being saved and, and followed the way of God's leading. And I'm thankful for the way in which God has led us in His way as well, instead of the world's way. You know, it's only because of God's grace that that we've been able to march down this road of ministry. In our text there, verse 31, I understand that when this verse was used, it uses the word, if God be for us, but it could have been easily translated correctly, since God be for us. And then, you know, that makes a big difference in the two words, if and sense. The text really is expressing a settled certainty, not a doubtful hope. Never are we to doubt what God says to us in his word. It doesn't matter what comes into our life during this course of life that we have, and we can rest assured that all things we are going to have to face have a fixed plan for our good in the mind of God, if we're walking with him. It's going to be that way, as we've already read in Romans 8. Nothing is a mistake on God's part. Nothing is really luck or blind fate, fate, but it's a definite, predestinated plan by an infinite God. Sometimes 
a saved man elects to sin. But true. A man can elect, or a woman can elect to sin. We have that ability within us. Chapter 7 of Romans, it tells us about that and the propensity that there is in human nature to go away from God instead of following the, the trail. Of course, we know what God does to his children. He, in Hebrews chapter 12, he corrects them and brings them back into the fold. And sometimes even takes their, takes their lives because of the implication that life has upon God and his church. He does that sometimes so he will not continue in that sinful course of life. And so we can rest assured that all things that we are going to face have a fixed plan for our good in the mind of God. God loves us so much that he will deal with us as his children, as it says over there, and I I just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 14, that whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth and chasteneth. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. It's like us raising our children. Sure, there's different ways of raising children, but the Bible still tells us that we need to correct them, and sometimes it's corporal chastisement we have to give. And that's the kind he gives us sometimes as well. The Bible teaches that the, the parent who doesn't teach and correct the errors of his children does not love them. That's what the Bible says. It's not my words. Oh, there's so much that we can see in these things we look at. We look at the nation of Israel and, and how that God got so disgusted with the ways that they were doing. He says, even, he says, even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. That's horrible. But he said that about Israel. They've risen up like an enemy against me. The people who have been privileged to know the word of God can go off the deep end. If they do not fear God, they can see the error of their way, correct the way they're walking, abstain from the evil, and turn back around. And that's what our hope is as we preach God's word to God's people. God still called Israel my people. But look at how far they went just following their own way instead of following God's word. And Isaiah talks about my people. And you know the word, the the, the statement my people or the chosen nation does not always mean my sheep. Some of those are not sheep. They never turn around. They never come back. Now, I'm going I'm to say some things in about the book of Romans here, and I'm going to encapsulate a, a large portion of Scripture in each one of these statements, but we're not going to go and read it all because it will take quite a while to do so. But in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20, 
Paul tells us of our condition as being inexcusable. We were hopeless condemned sinners, but that God has provided a sufficient righteousness for the sinners in, in Christ, which we have received by faith and not by works of righteousness, which we have done or ever could do. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for which we all know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5, 11, that whole passage includes our lost state to salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. Then Paul then demonstrates the personal experience of one who receives this righteousness in Romans chapter 6 and 7. And then in chapter 8, he begins with the proclamation of no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And ends with a promise of no separation. That we'll be never separated from him. There's nothing that we can do that would separate his sheep from him. In Romans 8, 1, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation. What does that mean? It means the sins that we have committed in our past before being, coming, before being saved, the Lord has washed them away. There's no reason for us to dredge up those past sins, although we know we had committed it. In fact, we may have, we have, may have scars in our bodies uh, showing the results of those sins in our minds and in our hearts. And how many times we bow our head before God in prayer or study of God's Word and some of that junk comes and floods our minds and we have to say, Oh Lord, not again. I don't want to think about those things again. And so you have to put them away and look to Him. Because he's the only one that can help you out with that diff that, those difficulties that we had in times past. And the sin that we commit today as Christians. In 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we're covered before salvation and after salvation. And we enter into His presence as His children, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, that's washed. That's wonderful. So wonderful. Romans 8, 38, talking about the no separation, says, For I am persuaded that neither death, I'm in Romans 8, 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> we can bank on that. 
We can rest assured. We can plant our feet upon that solid rock of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are His forevermore. Never to turn our back upon Him. Never will there be a separation possible in our relationship as God's children because we know what has happened to us. We know that He lives within us. The Holy Spirit directs and gives us the assurance we're sealed with a spirit of promise. Oh, how wonderful that is. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith, in Jesus Christ. In, in Luke chapter 20 and verse 36, also a wonderful scripture that talks about this guarantee that we have. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are children of God, being the children of what? The resurrection you know, we, we, we laid to rest the body of Lisa Finison Tweet. She was a wonderful lady. Oh, what a wonderful funeral. I mean, it, it really was. And the messages that were preached was the Lord blessed. The testimonies that came forward, the most, for the most part, was wonderful. But she wasn't there in that body. That body had been racked with cancer for five years. In her last days upon earth, she said to, I believe it was one of her sons, either that or her brother, I can't remember which it was, says, I fought it five years. Can I go home now? Five years. Chemo, chemo, chemo. Just sicker than a dog. She went home. Never more to have to face that again. God is so good to you and me. So good. Why do I say that? Because He is our justifier, He's our defender, He's our shield, and He is our champion. Let's look at these points for a moment. Number one is that God justifies you and me. He loved us first before we loved Him. He loved us even when we were unlovable, when we were serving self and sin, following Satan and his devices. We were enemies of grace and love, but we were in His divine plan even though we didn't know it at the time and we were selected to be the ones that he was going to set his affection upon you know I love my wife we've been married 55 years 56 in December and I love her I can't imagine as my brother Tim has now experienced that his wife has gone, as you have experienced, as your wife went home to be with the Lord. And others have lost their husbands or wives. It's hard. But you know, when God does things, you don't point and blame Him. 
You just say, okay, God, I don't understand it, but give me grace to go on. Give me grace to keep on marching on as we go through this life down here. But you know, there was a time when we were enemies of his of grace and of love. We were in his divine plan and were selected to be the ones that he was going to set his affection upon. That is grace which you cannot measure in any shape or form. He has shown to us his mercy and his grace, his inexhaustible power when he drew you and me unto himself and gave us spiritual life. This brings to our remembrance of wonderful verses over in John 6, 44. He says, Jesus says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at that last day. And then verse 65, he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. 66 through 68 says, from that time many of his disciples went back. He, they thought they were disciples. They went back. And that didn't end up, it says, and they walked no more with him. In other words, they quit. And there are many people that do quit. They enter in and they go on because they don't like what they see. They see, as I talked to one man the other day in Decatur, he says, all I see in church is a bunch of hypocrites. I says, you better be careful and not let those hypocrites send your soul to hell. You don't look at them. And what happens is a person, the Lord saves a person, he looks at those people again, and there's very few of them that are that way, hypocritical. Excuse me. Verse 67 says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, we also go away? I mean, the twelve that he elected. Are you going to go away too? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know, at the time of conviction, when we started to feel real bad about our sinful condition, we started seeing that we had sinned against him. We had sinned against the Holy God and it, come, it came to our remembrance and we, we've, we, we sensed that if we died in that condition that there was no hope for us and that we would go to hell. Some people say, that's, that's, that's not good talk that way. But it's true. I think of the rich man and Lazarus. I mean, there was two people there. They were real people. And Lazarus died, and so did the rich man. And that rich man, he's burning in hell. He feels the pain and all that going on. And he calls out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he might touch the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He just wanted a drop of water. 
and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. Didn't like it. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a gall fixed. Doesn't work that way. Well, send, send some uh, that come from the tomb, uh, raise some people from the dead, and go talk to my five brothers because I don't want them to come to this place. They have the prophets. They have the preachers there. Hey, if they're not going to hear, if they don't hear them, they're not going to hear someone who came from the dead. You don't need a miracle like that to happen. What you need is the miracle of Jesus Christ touching your heart and causing you to see your sinful condition. And so that conviction is so important. It should jog, it should jog our minds into the realization that it was God who started that work in you. It wasn't me. It wasn't another preacher. It almost, somebody may have testified to you and told you about the peace that you could have in knowing Jesus Christ. And those things started to work in you. And for some reason, a light switch came on. <laughs> a light came on and you saw what you really are without Jesus Christ, lost and condemned. We came and we wanted those arms of Jesus Christ to surround us, to love us. When we're saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit forever, the Bible says. We know that God doesn't change. And so if he came after you and me and set his love upon and his grace upon you and me, then we are the most secure that anyone could ever be in the world. There's nothing more secure than having God say he loves you and puts his loving arms around you and you trust in the one that he sent to be that one sacrifice, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And it never changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Faith in the coming Messiah, faith in the one who came. Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not con consumed. Next we see he defends us. Since God before us, who can be against us? All the world is against us. They don't like us preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the efforts of Satan, the servants of the demons, the darkness may try to destroy the work of God in our hearts and our lives, but it's going to be for naught. Satan hates morality. Satan hates peace. He hates righteousness, holiness. But God will bring to our enemies one day the Bible says everlasting confusion. Revelation 21, 6 and 8 says, 6, 2 through 8 says, Revelation 21, 
And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A lot more can be said if we would turn to the book of Jude, looking at verses 11 through 25. But we don't have to fear man. We trust in him. We don't have to cower down like a whoop dog when the evil one comes against us. We can stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ as the victor. We have victory in him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord. I can remember this. Karen remembers it as well. That mom would give us the catechism every morning before going to school. Karen could whiz through it, but me, I, I was a bonehead. I had, I had to study it out. But you know, here I am now, 73 years old, and I can think when I hear a verse read or read a verse in my devotions that I know that that was one that Mama taught me at the kitchen table that I wrote over and over again. So I remember Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways. Acknowledge who? Yourself? No. God. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. And I am trusting now as in this new endeavor that we are going upon in North Carolina that he goes with me. I trust that he will. You know what? Quickly, I know I have a short time here, but God was for us before time began, just briefly. In Revelation 17, 8, said, And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not writ- written in the, in, in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold, Behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. This election that we believe took place before we had done any good or evil. Of course, before any of us were born into this world, if this thing happened, God foreknew and he loved us before we were even born. He elected us for his purpose and grace For his good pleasure. Let's turn in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to read a couple of verses here, please. Ephesians 1, 4. And five, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the earth, the world, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not my will, of his will. Another verse in 1 Timothy 1.9 says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man, but the lawless and the disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers. God was for us in the work of predestination or being decreed beforehand, as we can read in many places. But here in chapter 6 of Ephesians 1, says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us uh, accepted in the beloved. He was for us in this eternal purpose. What is that purpose? For us as his children to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Like I said before, it's not chance, it's not luck, it's not my will or your will. But he drew us into this. I was in Seattle with Anthony Parrish doing some street preaching. I wasn't doing, he was doing the pre- preaching and I was doing the handing out the literature and, and uh, so forth. And uh, no, this was at a college, Evergreen State College, I believe it was. And we were talking to two Muslim men. Maybe there's three there had a wonderful conversation but it came to my mind the difference between what they believe and what we believe and it's that they are ingrained as a child and if not converted by someone else to make a decision to believe in Muhammad as their God the difference between that and what we possess as Christians is that we didn't do it to ourselves. God did this work in us. Big difference between making a decision as some boxers have done and football players have done, say, well, I'm going to become a Muslim and go that way. In other decisions too. But in Christianity... It's that God works in us, opens our sin-blinded eyes that we may see the glorious God, that we may see him as he really is. How does that change us? It instructs us eternally, as long as we live that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That we should purify ourselves even as he is pure. As I've said before in this assembly, to this assembly, that a lot of things that we do in life are decisions that are biblically based that you have the ability to accept or to reject. And if you reject the being obedient to God's word, you are taking 
condemnation upon yourself for the loss of rewards. And so we are called, as Jesus said, be ye holy even as I am holy. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, my words. And so what do we do? We trust in him, we rely upon him, and we know that Second or First Corinthians five seventeen and 18 are so true, and it rings a bell in our hearts, which says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And you know what else? Your body is not your own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What know you not that your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. What's that price? The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How rich it is. Do you love him? Do you know him in the free pardon of sin? Are you kept by the power of God? All these things are so rich, so true. And I pray this morning that you have received a blessing from God's holy word.